Hey, thank you so much for joining us at our Crosspoint Church podcast. Now, if you're new to our podcast or maybe new to our church in general, we're just a bunch of messed up people who don't have it all together, running after a heavenly leader who loves us and meets us right where we are. We hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and strengthens your confidence as you continue down this journey of what it means to know and follow Jesus. Enjoy this message. Big fans of Christmas Vacation around here. Well, hey, welcome again to Crosspoint. Uh, my name is Abby. I'm so, so glad that you have decided to be here with us today. Whether you are here in the venue or joining us online today, let's give it a shout out for those who are uh, joining us from wherever you are today. Uh, can you all believe that Christmas is actually almost here? It is so crazy to me. And, you know, during this final stretch, as we're kind of in this home stretch to Christmas coming, uh, I don't know exactly where you are. Maybe you are at, like, peak level of excitement. You are ready. Or maybe you have reached the peak level of stress. Uh, or maybe a little bit of both as you consider all of the things that you need to get done before the end of the year and are kind of watching uh, the days and the amount of time you actually have left to do them. Maybe you uh, are, are kind of preoccupied right now with some year-end projects that are on your plate, or you're a student and you've got finals that are still looming that just feel like you are, may or may not make it through. Uh, maybe you are starting to feel the holiday stress as you get ready to host people in your home or as you prepare to travel, to go home for Christmas and all of the, the craziness that comes with that. Uh, maybe you're feeling it as, as you realize there's still some gifts that you need to snag. And um, I don't know if you've had this experience yet this week, but you go to order that gift that you need to get and realize it's too late to get it shipped before Christmas. And you are going to have to go to the living hell that is an actual store this time of year. Uh, anybody had that experience yet? I have. Uh, personally, I, in fact, I know this feeling well because uh, I, I'm not much of a gifts person. It's, it's not something that comes supernaturally to me. In fact, I might be the second worst gift giver in the world. Uh, the reason I know that I'm not the first is because I'm married to someone who is definitely worse than I am. Uh, if, you know, a couple of, of examples there on our very first Christmas together. Now, mind you, we were pretty young, but this is what, what my husband got me for Christmas. He purchased a t-shirt for me that said cougar on it, and it defined what a cougar is, a woman who's into a younger man, because I'm one week older than him. And uh, here was the real kicker. It still had the goodwill tags on it, and so it was clear he had just gone all out uh, for our first Christmas together. Another holiday, he uh, had spent all this time, he was bi kept building up. I've got this big surprise for you. You're going you're gonna to love it. And, uh, you know, so I'm thinking like helicopter. I don't know. I'm, I've got all these crazy visions in my head. Turns out he had uh, made a homemade workout video for me. And uh, whatever you're picturing it being, it was worse than, than what you're imagining. It was, it was one of the worst things probably that's ever been made. But, uh, but you know, it works out okay because neither of us are big gift people. And so, you know, it's not something that matters all that much to us, except in, uh, you know, these moments. Uh, I almost always find myself consumed with the stress of trying to make Christmas happen as we get closer to it. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been spending a whole lot of time or energy, not just buying gifts, but with all of the preparation that comes with this time of year. Prepping your home, prepping to be away from work, planning menus, all of the things. 
And you've gotten to the point where you really find yourself relating to that clip that we just watched with the line, I don't know what to say, it's Christmas and we're all in misery. You're like, pass me a cig, Ellen, I, I get you. So it, whether you're experiencing a little bit of that or a lot, here's our goal for you today. Today we want to give you a space to press pause on all of the madness and to, to take a moment to consider what do you really want this Christmas? Not what's on your list, not what gifts are you hoping for, but what are you really longing for? Maybe for some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, what we are looking for right now is some connection, for a place where we feel like we belong, or just a moment to connect in the midst of the chaos. Maybe right now you find yourself looking for some light, looking for guidance or direction or clarity. Maybe you are looking for this season to mean something because you just are feeling kind of numb in the midst of all of it. Maybe you've been longing for something to shift in your life, to be different as you approach a new year. Maybe right now what you're looking for is some rest or some silence. Maybe you're looking to find your way home. Earlier this week, I stumbled across this quote in, in something that I was reading that just stuck with me. Richard Rohr wrote, how you get there is where you arrive. And I think this is, that's true for us right here where we stand. As we prepare for Christmas, the way that we spend these days, how we get there is going to determine what we are able to experience when we get into the midst of the holiday. And so our goal today is to spend this time that we have together preparing, and maybe preparing in a different way than you have been, positioning ourselves toward what it is that we really want from this season. And to do this, we're going to dive into a story with some likely familiar characters. They may even be uh, people that you have representations of right in your home right now, in a nativity scene. We're going to look at the story of the Magi. You may know them as the Magi or the wise men, the three wise men, maybe even the three kings. You know the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Uh, there's lots of, you know, things that we may have, have heard about them, ways that we may have pictured them. And they're kind of like a lot of other things at Christmas where, uh, you know, we, we have this vision of them. We have some traditions of, of what we think, but we're not sure that, that they're exactly true. See, when it comes to the Magi, if we look a little closer, if we pay attention to what we actually find in the book of Matthew, where we see their story written down in the Bible, we see that the text never says that these Magi, that there's three of them. There's three gifts. We don't really know how many Magi there were, though there may have been three. It never says that they're all men, though they probably are, but, you know, who knows? We don't know exactly how far east they've come from. They may have been from Persia or Babylonia, likely somewhere in the Arabian Peninsula, but we don't know exactly where they came from. It also never says that they're kings. In fact, we're pretty sure that they were not kings. But there are some things that we do know. We do know that these magi, they were Gentiles. Now, I, 
I feel like I need to clarify here because several years ago I had this experience. I was leading students at a different church and you know, we wrapped up our, our youth group night and as, as groups came out of their small groups, I noticed there were these two leaders that led our eighth grade boys small group who looked a little disturbed. And so I went and checked in with them like, hey, everything, everything go okay? And they, they started to tell me how you know, in the midst of their group time, they'd asked one student to read this verse out loud. And instead of, where it said Gentiles, instead of Gentiles, this student read genitals, to which another boy in their group asked, what are genitals? And so then these guys had to, you know, have this impromptu anatomy lesson that they did not sign up for. This was not what they had in mind when they volunteered to lead that group. So when we say that the Magi are Gentiles, what we mean is just that they were not Jewish. They came from a different background, a different context than most of the people that we meet throughout the stories in the Bible. And, you know, there's some other things that we know about them too. We know that these Magi were likely astrologers, that they were the Zoroastrian type of spiritual seeker who lived in the East. They were known to be spiritual people people who wanted to understand the stars, who were f seeking to figure out how they all fit together. And we actually get our word magic from this idea of magi. See, people believed that these guys could do strange and unusual things. And you know, it's actually really wild that we have come to know them as wise because that would not have been the impression for those who first heard this story. See, in the four different accounts of the life of Jesus that we find within the Bible, we, they, each one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each give us a different perspective of the origin of, of Jesus' story. And Matthew's version is actually the only one that tells us this story, that tells us about the Magi. And what we need to understand is that Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, or to at least people who had a Jewish background. And in the Jewish tradition and throughout the biblical text, magic is acknowledged, but never positively. This was specific to their culture. There were other, you know, contexts, the, the context where the Magi came from in the East, they would have been widely respected there. But for Matthew's context, for this Jewish audience that he's writing to, they would have heard Magi and assumed that they were people who think they are wise but actually deal in nonsense. And so it's almost like for us to read them as wise men, we kind of need to read this as this tongue-in-cheek description of who they are. When we understand it this way, it makes their story surprising and interesting. It's meant to catch our attention, to cause us to reconsider what we thought we knew. See, despite the fact that these guys were unlikely participants, they were outsiders to the story in many ways, what we see is these magi are people who are seeking. They are searching for meaning. And there is a whole lot that we can learn from them, especially if what we are seeking is for this season to mean something, if we're looking to experience Christmas at a deeper level. 
And so let's take a look at how their story begins. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came from Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. See, right off the bat, we see that they are people who were paying attention. They notice this star rising. They experience something that they had never experienced before, and they get curious. Now, it was a common belief in the ancient world to think that every time someone was born, a star rose, and it remained in the sky for the span of that person's life. Now, obviously, we know this is not how stars work, but though the method of how they got there may have been flawed, God used it. He used it, this thing that they were paying attention to, to invite them in to the adventure of their lives. See, they somehow come to this conclusion that this star means that a new king of the Jews has been born, and their curiosity continues to grow. They don't just settle for having figured it out. What they do is they go. They embark on a journey to an unknown unknown land, seeking after this king. And this is no small interruption to their lives. This journey would have taken them months, maybe even years. We have to imagine that these wise men, these magi, they had better things to do with their time, surely, right? They had better things to do than traipse across the countryside following a star. But it seems that they understood that movement is always a part of every search, especially a search for meaning. If we want to experience something deeper than we have experienced before, we have to be willing to go somewhere that we've never gone before. Not physically, but, but in so many ways, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone because very little growth happens in our lives when that is where we're sitting. You know, it's interesting for us to imagine what it must have been like for them along the way, uh, during the course of this journey, how often they must have gotten frustrated. Did they have moments of doubt when they were like, why are we doing this? Should we just turn back? Why did we make this decision? Is this really gonna be worth it? But, you know, we don't really know much about that part of their story because Matthew picks up when they arrive at Herod's palace. Now, Herod is the guy who's in charge of the region, and he's this puppet king that the Roman government has placed in power in order to keep order in Judea. And so the Magi come here, they come to Jerusalem because this is the place, reasonably, that they are expecting to find a future king of the Jews at the place where the current king of the Jews lives. And after they explain to Herod why they have come, Matthew goes on and tells us, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now this refers to the news that another king had been born. See, just like that, Herod starts to feel threatened. There can't be two kings. And when Herod is bothered, everyone suffers. When Herod is disturbed, people die. This guy was known notoriously for being ruthless, the kind of ruthless where you kill your own wife and three of your sons, ruthless. 
People said about Herod, it is safer to be a pig than to be his son. He eliminated anything that he perceived to be a threat to his power. This is why all Jerusalem is disturbed with him, because they know what Herod is capable of. And so what Herod does is he calls together all of the wisest people he knows. He calls together the people who are supposed to know things. Matthew tells us he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote long ago. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now notice here the difference between these religious leaders and the Magi, these teachers and these wise men. See, in this context, everyone expected these priests and teachers to be the ones who were wise, to have the answers. And actually, they do. They know exactly where the Messiah is supposed to be born. But here's where they get tripped up. They think that knowing is enough. They stop short of doing anything about it. They don't make any movement. They don't take action. They stay home. They stay where they're comfortable. And as a result, they never get to experience this miracle that they'd been waiting for for their whole lives. This Messiah that had come and been born in their midst. See, despite the fact that they were the ones who had all of the prestige in that time and place, they are not the ones that we remember as wise. Instead, it's these foreign magi, these seekers who no one expected to be a part of this story, who no one imagined would be among the first to recognize Jesus for who he really was. They are the ones that we remember as wise because they were willing to move. But don't get too caught up there because see their openness was just the first step. What we see here is that they couldn't get where they needed to go on their own. It was their willingness, it was their seeking that got them this far, but they had ended up in the complete wrong place, wrong city, wrong king. See, in order to find Jesus, they had to be both willing to move and willing to learn. This is true for us today, too. You know, some of us are missing out on something that God wants us to experience because we think that knowing is the goal. We think that believing the right thing is the end game when it's never been. There's always been more that God's inviting us to. Others of us, though, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, we get tripped up because we have really good intentions, and we're hoping that our earnest seeking is going to get us where we need to go. But we're missing the fullness of what God wants us to experience because we aren't seeking wisdom that we can't access on our own. We aren't looking to the wisdom that's passed down to us through scripture and tradition. We aren't tapping into the wisdom that comes from community. This is why we do this. This is why we gather in places like this because none of us 
can see the full picture on our own. We need each other. We need wisdom beyond ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that we need to or can honestly have this all figured out, but the question that this story raises for us is, am I willing? Am I willing to learn? Am I seeking to grow, to discover more than I currently know? And at the same time, am I willing to make a move? Am I open to disruptions? Am I open to my life being altered and interrupted? Am I open to taking action? See, often, like Herod, we spend so much time and energy trying to get the stars to align the way that we want them, asking God, wishing that he would just solve the problems that we're wrestling with the way that we want him to solve them. But the invitation that we see in this story is instead to follow. Instead of asking God to align the stars for us, instead, like the Magi did, to align ourselves with God. And when we do this, we position ourselves to be a part of a plan that transcends, transcends human understanding. This is what the Magi get to experience. See, their story continues. After they had heard the king, when they went on their way, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw this child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So now they come to this house. They find Mary and Jesus, and I hate to further complicate your vision of the nativity scene, but the Magi don't show up at the same time as the shepherds. It's not this big party that's happening all at once. They aren't there when Jesus is a newborn. By the time they arrive on the scene, Jesus is a toddler. See, the amount of time that it would have taken them to walk and follow the star. By the time they get there, Jesus is a couple of years old. So this has been a long, long journey. They have completely altered their lives. And when they finally arrive, after they've rerouted from this palace where they expected to find this future king and instead found Jesus, this normal-looking toddler in this ordinary house, what do they do? They bow. They lower themselves down. What a move. One of Jesus' friends, a cousin of his, actually John the Baptist, has this great line where he says, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. See, what John knew, what the Magi knew, is that getting closer to God means getting on the path to downward mobility. It means we live in such a way that we say, I'm going to put you up. I'm going to elevate God. I'm going to elevate other people, and I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to choose the way of humility. This word worship that we see Matthew use here, this word literally means to lower yourself and kiss the ground. Now, if you're a race fan, you get this. We watch this happen every year at the Indy 500. The winner has this, this incredible moment where they bend down and kiss the yard of bricks. 
And it's this powerful moment because it's an act of worship. Worship is about moving toward something that is worthy of our attention, something that is worthy of our commitment. And when we get there, we lower ourselves. We put ourselves in a position to learn, to receive. Because when we worship, it, we're saying, I am in the presence of something that is worthy, of someone who is worthy. You're in the presence of something you want to reflect. You know, I think for most of us, if we're honest, we only really lower ourselves when we have no other options. When, when the world kind of forces us there and we have no other choice but to humble ourselves. But these guys, this is not their story. They lower themselves to communicate worth, to communicate importance, and they didn't need to. These are rich people. They may not have been highly regarded in Matthew's Jewish Christian context, but in their own culture, they have status. They have money, and still, they lower themselves. And get this, before a toddler, now, I have a toddler in my house right now, and let's just be honest about this. Toddlers are adorable, but they're probably the most ridiculous version of a human being that, that there is. They look like bumbling drunks most of the time. And I, for one, find it hard to believe that even toddler Jesus would have looked like he deserved this level of respect, this kind of worship and reverence. But the Magi are able to see him for more than what he appeared on the surface. They bow down, they lower themselves, and not only that, but they offer him these extravagant, costly gifts. Verse 11, Matthew tells us, then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, if you gave my 18-month-old these gifts, there's about three possibilities of how this is going down. She's eating them. She's using them as a weapon uh, for, uh, you know, against herself or against her brother, probably. Or she's spilling them everywhere. These expensive oils, they're just going all over my floor or all over her head. Who knows? Or some combination of the three. These are wild gifts to give a toddler. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Though it just might be that they were part of the plan of provision that God had for Mary and Joseph and Jesus. See, not long after this, they would be forced to flee from the only home they ever knew, to live as refugees in a foreign land for several years. Maybe these gifts were a part of God's plan to take care of them. Of course, the Magi don't know this, though. Even though it didn't make any sense they decided to give in a way that cost them. And you know, the truth is, this is how provision always works. Through acts of people who are willing to pay attention, to seek, to move, to take action, to lower themselves. We're seeing this lived out right here, right now, today in our parking lot as, as we kind of come to the culmination of this spread some cheer drive. It's an exciting day. And you know, a little backstory on this. Every year, as we began to plan this, this spread some of your cheer meal drive, 
As we begin to get numbers from schools that we work with, every year we find that the poverty rates in those areas of town seem to be going up and up and up. And so we make these commitments to provide boxes that no one signed up for <laughs> way back in October. And we have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know what the economy is going to be like when we get to December. We just say, God, okay, if this is the need, we're going to handle it. We're going to trust you. And so every year, we don't know if that pile of boxes is going to disappear. But what we do know is this. Every single one of those boxes has a name attached to them. Every single one of those boxes represents an actual family in our community that we have the opportunity to come alongside, to bring some cheer, to provide some hope for them. 156 families this year, and it's not too late to join in. We still have 37 left to fund. See, the Magi, they gave these costly gifts, but not out of expectation, not out of obligation, they offered them as a response to what they had experienced, as a response to the way that they had been changed through this journey, to what they had encountered as they met Jesus. Perhaps this is a place where some of us might need a reset today. One of my good friends posted a few days ago about how she was just in the midst of this hard parenting day. And uh, in the middle of it, she found herself being drawn to this phrase, I get to. And so she, she's a crafty person. She actually made a bracelet of it. And she talked about how she needed this reminder that all of these things that, that felt so heavy in her lives, all the things she was holding, parenting and work and holidays, these things are a gift not a weight. She wrote, these are things that I've prayed for and worked for. This life that I'm living is a life that I've longed for, and I get to do it. That phrase has been a game changer for me this week. As I think about all the things that I'm holding, as I look at the to-do list in front of me, the preparation yet to be done, I don't know what kind of movement you might need to make today. Maybe for you, it's a reframing like that, a reminder of why you're doing what you're doing in this holiday season. Perhaps for you, it's a making a decision to alter some plans so that you can move in the direction that you sense God is inviting you to go. Maybe it's a move to pay attention, to seek, to learn, to allow yourself to discover something new. Maybe today you, much like the Magi, are finding yourself being drawn downward. To hit your knees as an act of saying, God, I need you right now. Or maybe to humble yourself in front of someone else, to say you're sorry, or to tell a vulnerable truth. Maybe today is a day for you to make a move toward giving something that's going to cost you. Perhaps you'll help us to close the gap on those 37 gift meal boxes that still need funded for families in our community. Or maybe today you're going to make the decision to make a year-end gift to Crosspoint to help us to end this year strong. 
Kurt mentioned earlier how this is a messy time of year. We choose to give our volunteers and staff this weekend of rest on the last weekend of the year, which also happens to be traditionally the biggest giving weekend of the year. And so maybe you're finding yourself drawn to move in one of these directions. For both of these things, you can donate online through our Give button. Maybe for you, you are, are finding yourself ready to make a move uh, that, that has to do with your time, to raise a hand, to give time during this busy season. Maybe to volunteer at one of our Christmas Eve services, volunteer one and attend one, to help someone else have an encounter that just might change everything for them. What movement do you need to make? You may want to take a minute right now to pull that connection card back out and, and just to set an intention for this week, to commit to make a move on there. In fact, there's even one of the options is a blank that you can fill in. I will move this week too. Maybe you need to take a second to, to write that down, to mark the moment. There is one more thing though that we find in the story of the Magi that I want to make sure that we don't miss today. We see it in verse 12. Matthew tells us, when it was time for them to leave this house where Jesus was, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream to return to Herod. Now there is, of course, a practical reason that they decide to go home another way. They have to avoid Herod to protect protect Jesus, to protect themselves. But this also reflects the reality that they had been changed. They go home by another way because they are not who they were when this journey began. They are not the same people that they were before they had this encounter with Jesus in his humble home. Amidst all of the demands of this season, the reason that it is worth it for us to consider how we might make a move, how we might follow in their example, is that we too, we have the potential to walk away from this Christmas different than we came into it. We can be changed by this God who came to us, who made his home among us. In many ways, the story of the Magi is really the story of a findable God. A God who will use anything that we are paying attention to, anything that might catch our attention. A God who works through every twist and turn of our story. A God who brings us together, who uses other people to fill in pieces in our lives that we cannot access on our own. A God who intervenes in the midst of our misguided attempts to find our way home. The story of the Magi is really the story of a God who clears a path for everyone, everyone, especially even those who are far off, even the people who are the last ones anyone expected to seek and find this light that we've been longing for. For the rest of our time today, we wanna give you the opportunity to put yourself in the position 
to be found, to encounter this God, to consider how you might make a move toward what you are really longing for this Christmas, and to pause, to sit in the silence for just a moment. When you walked into Cross Point today, you got this bag. You can go ahead and grab it now. If you're at home with us, if you're at a coffee shop or a bar, wherever you are, go ahead and grab something to eat and something to drink. It really doesn't matter what it is. What we're gonna do is we're gonna participate in something that people have actually been celebrating ever since Jesus left this earth. Some call it communion, some the Holy Mass, some Eucharist, some the Lord's Supper. But what this is, is Jesus told us that when we gather together to do this, and if you're in this place today and you've never made a decision of faith, you've never decided to follow Jesus, you maybe you're here and, and you're skeptical, first of all, we're glad that you're here. And I just want you to know that as we go through this, you're welcome to eat and drink along with us. It's just not gonna mean the same thing for you. Though perhaps it will. Perhaps today is the day for you to receive these elements for the first time as a symbol that you are ready to be found by Jesus, ready to be changed as you make a decision to follow after him. You can go ahead and take these crackers and, and this little juice out of here. And you know, when you take these elements into your body, what we're doing is an act of remembering. And it's also an act of, of being reminded that change is possible. See, just like the elements literally get into your system, become a part of who you are as you digest them, in the same way, God wants to transform us, wants to sustain us, wants to consume our lives in a way that help us to experience life the way that we were made for. And so we take these as an act of remembering Him, to be reminded of what He has done for us, of who He is. Jesus' body is represented by this bread, this cracker. And He said, as He gathered His friends on this last night of His life, that every time you eat this, do it as a reminder of my body given for you as a reminder of the extent of my love for you. The love of God seen in the breaking of bread and in the nailing of Jesus' body to the cross, done for you and for me out of love. Take and eat. You could take this, this mini juice bottle those of you that are online, whatever liquid it is that you have. What this signifies, again, is the love of Jesus. His blood spilt on our behalf. His own life source given so that we might find life. It's a sign of his love for us. And this cup isn't for people who are perfect. It isn't for people who have it all together. In fact, it's just the opposite. This is a cup for those of us who know we can't get it together on our own. 
This is a cup for those who are forgiven, for those of us who recognize I need a leader, I need a savior. This is a cup for we who are loved, for you and for me. So take and drink. You know, as you look at this vial that is now empty, you may want to take this with you as a reminder of what Jesus did for us, for the way that he emptied himself so that you could live. Take it with you as a reminder that Christmas is about this God who gave everything, who chose this way of humility, who chose downward mobility, Son of God, who moved into our neighborhood, made his home among us so that we could know what it means to have life to the full. And it all began on one silent night. Thanks so much for joining us today. Take a moment to follow our podcast on your preferred platform and be sure to download our app to stay informed on everything happening here at Crosspoint. And if you like what you heard today, don't hesitate to share it with a friend that might need to hear it too.